and welcome to Your Money. My name is Susie Jones, and we are happy to have you with us today. If you have a financial question for today's speakers, you can call this number 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and that is 1-888-6-ADVICE. You can always email a question to yourmoneyatwealthenhancement.com, but right now you can text or call our studio line at 651 651- Four six one nine two two six. Here is the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group and financial advisor Bruce Helmer, along with senior vice president and financial advisor Peg Webb. Hello to both of you. Good morning, Susie. Good morning, Bruce. Hi, Peg. Hi, Susie. As always, ladies, good to be with you. Hey, Susie and Peg. Before we jump into today's topic, I just wanted to quickly, uh, personally, acknowledge. What's going on right now in in our country? Um, You know, Memorial Weekend is not only the unofficial beginning of summer. It's not only a reason to get together with friends and family and loved ones and have a picnic and and start the grill. Let's not forget what we're what we're why we truly get together and 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 are thankful. Um, we're we're honoring people, our, our our men and women in the military that gave the ultimate sacrifice. And I, I just think as a country, we don't always acknowledge and recognize those that serve the way we should. I, I never did personally, and I am certainly grateful to anyone and everyone that did. I saw a quote about our military that all gives some and some gave all. and th- And that's the reason we get together with loved ones and get Monday off. And and I just think as a country, it's important that we not forget that. Very good. I think that's very well said. Definitely. Thanks Bruce for bringing that up. Oh, thank thank you for uh, humoring me and acknowledging me. So Peg and Susie, we, we thought today we would talk about college savings and Peg, maybe the, the place to begin on this discussion is is college even worth it? You know, we, we hear so much about college costs and increasing college costs. We hear about student loans and how long it takes to pay back the loans. And you have to ask yourself, is it worth incurring this debt? Is it worth spending all, all this money? Is it even worth it to go to college? So let, we kind of looked at that, and that's, let's kind of use that as our, as our jumping off point into this discussion. Well, and I think, Bruce, uh, I'd have to start with, as we talk to our clients, and um, some of them are grandparents, you know, of these grandchildren, some are parents that have uh, children, you know, later in life, and where does college fit in? Well, in our generation, you know, when we decided, are we going to go, are we not going to go, it was, I want to say it was maybe half of my class went to college and half of the class did not. And that was, maybe I'm dating myself. But then as we went out into the work field, you know, and we had children, um, really our, our aspiration was to give our children a college education. It, it became very vogue for us because we wanted to work hard and and make sure that they got that education that maybe some of the people that we graduated with didn't have that choice because of cost. So what I've witnessed in watching clients is that no matter what, parents were very, very adamant about saving for college and getting their kids through college that maybe 
some of them shouldn't have even went to college because it wasn't their first and foremost and for what they wanted to be, you know, later in life or have a career, didn't necessarily need a college education. So to your question, Bruce, there's no question statistically based on the college board today and who, who in the world is that? Though that's the nonprofit organization that, you know, wanted a um, an organization that would help everyone be able to go to college. They're the ones who uh, direct the SAT, you know, um, exam and, you know, try to make it available college for lots of kids. So they statistically say, and this is based on 2017, so it's pre-COVID, that yes, it actually pays off. Now, you might think, well, I'm giving up four years of working, you know, so that's income that you could have made. Um, but then you actually should get a higher um, pay, you know, with having a college degree. But then it, 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 it probably takes with the cost of college and being out of the workforce for four years up to 33 years old uh, in their graph that says, oh, now you've broke even. You know, we talk a lot about break-evens in our business, but um, I've actually never looked at it this way, Bruce, uh, until the this outline today for us, because I thought, well, that's interesting. I never really looked at it as a break-even. We've always kind of thought generally going to college was going to give you higher income, you know, and, and your ability to save, you know, for the rest of your life, Bruce. Well, I'd like a couple, you know, you went, uh, again, we talk about this a lot. We have a general outline that we follow, but we also say things, you know, that come into our head. And, and you did a great job, Peg, um, and you didn't date yourself, but I, it hadn't occurred to me, you and I are about the same age, and as I think back to my high school class, I bet it was less than 50% actually went to college. I mean, I don't know this for sure. I'm just kind of thinking about it now. I didn't think about it till you mentioned it. And then I think of my own family. I was the first person in my family, not just immediate family. My parents didn't go to college. My older siblings didn't go to college. But also aunts and uncles and cousins. I was kind of an anomaly when I went to, off to college in 1977. Um, but then my children... It was never even a, I don't even remember thinking anything else but. It was just always assumed that our kids would go to school. In fact, we started saving for college education before they were even born with the anticipation that we're going to have kids someday and they're going to go to college. And we got to start saving for this. So um, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because times have changed. Perspective has changed. Obviously, costs have changed and how you pay for it and what kind of debt you might have after it have certainly changed. Well, and what we deal with, Bruce, is uh, the clients that are trying to pay for it, or where do you get the money to pay for it, as the costs have just gotten so out of hand, in my opinion. Uh, and so we, we with, with the just the desire for these clients to want their children to have a higher education, they're willing to like give up their retirement dreams, their, the goal of when they wanted to retire to make sure that their kids um, get this college education. So, you know, we have discussions uh, with clients just to say, well, is, is 
is that the best idea? You know, um, make sure you're looking at every angle because that's how um, serious these clients are about, you know, wanting to help pay for it and they'll take out of their IRAs and their retirement accounts. Um, But our job is to make sure we walk through and say, okay, here's the pros of that, but here's the cons. You probably have to work five more years if you're going to fund, you know, your kid's college. And then, you know, after we explain that, yeah, now they're educated to be able to make that decision. Yes, we're willing to work five more years, you know, to get that done. Bruce? Yeah, and, and the other thing is, Peg, and, and I, we coach clients that as much as you want to help your children with their education, it is really, really expensive. And, um, you know, you might not be able to pay for it all, and it doesn't make you a bad per- person, doesn't make you a bad parent, doesn't make you a bad provider. You, all you can do is all you can do. And, and in terms of prioritization, I generally tell my clients, look, you have to take care of you first. I, and that's not selfish and that's not unreasonable. If you can't pay for your kid's college, there's going to be a lot of different ways that they might be able to get money in the form of loans, uh, need-based aid, merit-based aid, scholarships, work-study, and so forth. If they really want that college education, you and them will figure out a way to pay for it. But if you don't plan for your own retirement, there's nobody there to hand you money after you quit working so that you can live the way you want and do the things you want. You're responsible for that and no one else. So I think in terms of prioritization, should I be, should I be putting away money for my retirement or my kids' education? Well, it might be, yes, I want to do both, but if you can only afford to do one or the other, I think you have to start or prioritize putting away money for your own retirement, don't you? I do too, and I, I think we kind of got caught off guard, Bruce, because college costs just doubled and tripled. It, I mean, it just... It, it grew faster than the money we were saving, the, just the cost. So just like we talk about uh, starting early, you know, to, for your retirement savings, and I mean like super early. So if you can educate your kids today, you know, just to put even if it's 100 bucks a month uh, somewhere as longer-term savings, you know, the p- person who saves – at a young age is going to be far uh, better off than somebody who waits until they're 40 years old. So uh, there's different vehicles, Bruce, that you can contribute to that are specifically for college. And then there's other vehicles that aren't necessarily specific for college savings. And so what I thought we would do today is just to talk a little bit about what are those options and where do they maybe fit as, as people listen today um, about what the options are. So let's start with the popular one, which is the 529 savings plan. I got to believe most people have heard about it, but they may not necessarily know, you know, why is that a good reason to invest in that? And what, what are the pros and cons? So the big one out there of the 529 plans is uh, tax advantages. So you can put money into this plan And provided that you follow the rules, you can actually grow it tax-free federally, and then you can pull the money out um, if it's for a qualified expense. 
Now, a lot of those expenses are for college, but they've changed it over the recent years, and now you can use some of that uh, for K through 12 as well. So that tax treatment is really popular. And then another reason that people look at the um, tax advantages of uh, 529 is the, the clients that we deal with, uh, in some cases, they're trying to shift their wealth uh, to different generations. Maybe it's not necessarily their kids, but they think a lot about these grandkids. It's amazing when I do these meetings how the clients just light up about these grandchildren and <clears throat> they want to help. So what you can do is these uh, these clients with their wealth, <clears throat> they can actually gift, and we can all gift. We can gift $16,000 to any one person uh, per year and not have to file an income tax gift return. Uh, and we can give, you know, anyone and everyone $16,000. So let's pretend you have one grandchild and you would like to gift money for this 529. Well, there's an exception in a 529 where you can take five years worth of gifts, which actually would be $80,000, and shift that money to a 529. And then, um, then it's off your books, you know, from a death standpoint. Now, why am I talking about this? Because under current law, and not that everyone on this uh, listening to the show is going to be in this category, but today um, the gift tax is if you have 11 million, you know, 700,000 something each, you, um, you, you don't get taxed on that when you die. But um, we also look at the state tax. And so like in the state of Minnesota, it's about $3 million each. And so that's just some planning that we do, Bruce, that if you if they're adamant about wanting to help with college and this is a way uh, to help with college and then also lessen maybe your gift tax at the end, Bruce. Yeah, um, and I'm glad you brought up 529s. And it, it Peg, it is arguably the single most efficient way to save or invest for college. Now, I've said on this show and, and in many other venues many times, what I don't like about 529s is the restrictive nature of them, that you have to use the assets for some form of higher education to be able to get the, the tax benefits. That said, their definition of higher education is actually pretty liberal, although it does not include beer and pizza, which I've always lobbied that it yeah. should. <laughs> but um, And you can change the beneficiary. A lot of people don't understand that if grandma and grandpa get it for their grandchildren and for whatever reason they don't need that 529 or one grandchild doesn't need it but somebody another one does, you can change that beneficiary and control who gets those assets. In fact, I have a client, Peg, and I think I've mentioned this before on the show, I have a client who set it up for a grandchild that didn't need the money. They ended up naming themselves as the beneficiary of the 529, and they got the full tax benefit to go get a master gardener designation. So you can get pretty creative with these things so, and, and end up getting the tax advantage. But, but my beef against them, if, if you will, has always been the, uh, the, the, the lack of flexibility on how you can use it. But that said, uh, 
they can be a very, very effective, very powerful tool. Peg? Well, and I think what you're talking about, Bruce, is, is what if you don't use it for college and you want to withdraw the funds for any reason, you know, um, so do, you have to just keep in mind that there are these penalties. So let's say you put $10,000 in and voila, it's grown to 20000 Now you have $10,000 worth of earnings. Well, what if you pull that out and um, we call these non-qualified withdrawals, then you will actually be taxed on those earnings and you'll have an additional 10% penalty. So it isn't something that you want to do if you're clearly not going to use it for college savings. So the thing that I like, well, there's a couple of likes and dislikes. The 529s are actually administered by the states. So Minnesota has a 529, you know, Florida has a 529, um, you know, California. And, and it doesn't matter where you reside. You can look at all the 529s um, nationally for a couple of reasons. You want to look at how are the investments, what choices do I have? You don't want to go into a vehicle that may have lousy choices if you're not going to get a great rate, rate of return or equal rate of return if you went and purchased something else. The other thing is, is because they're state-run, the costs inside a 529 are a little bit higher than if you just went out and bought a direct investment that you thought maybe you were going to use for college down the road. Uh, and there are some pros, though. Some states actually give you credits. Uh, based on your income, if you do participate in their 529, they'll do some matching, uh, which is great. So those are all the things that we look at to see what's the best, um, what's the best vehicle for what you're trying to achieve. Bruce? Okay, we've got about three minutes or so left before we have to take a break. So 529 is one way to save for college. What are some of the other ways, Peg, that people should be aware of in terms of how to save for paying for college? Uh, there's a couple. There's uh, what's called these custodial accounts, and maybe a lot of people, because they've been around since the 1950s, actually. Uh, UGMA and UTMA, Uniform Gift to Minors Act and Uniform Transfers to Minor, Minors Act, is that's actually you open an account, and you can buy whatever you want to buy. Let's say you want to buy an individual stock, and you'd like to purchase that for your grandkids. This is a great way that you can uh, do that. Now, you can put the asset, the, the account in the child's name, but you actually need to be the um, executor or the custodian for that. Um, one of the things that, that may be a problem with this is if indeed that investment that you have in there throws off capital gains or you know lots of taxes, there's provisions for passing taxes maybe at a lower rate to children. And so sometimes people used to use this, Bruce, for a way to um, get out of paying taxes on their own um, account. So, and then uh, another one is the Coverdell Educational Savings Account. I really don't use these. These are $2,000 limits. Once again, you can buy what you want to buy. Um, there's actually income limits on this one too. So that's probably why I don't use it that much. But today, $2,000 a year doesn't seem like a lot to be able to contribute and go um, open an account for that particular one. Bruce? 
Yeah, I, I have used the Coverdale, not very often, but sometimes the 2000 per year is all someone can afford, and if that's all they can afford, I actually probably lean more towards the Coverdale than, than a 529 because we don't have all the state bureaucracy involved uh, in choosing investments and so forth. And I, I like what you, what you said about the custodial accounts also. That's the so-called, we used to talk about the, the kitty tax. We could uh, try to manipulate the system and get uh, income in our kids' names rather than our, our own names. Um, Peg and Susie, I'm going to suggest this. I know we've only got about, got about a minute left. Susie, let's, um, Peg and I, when we come back, we'll kind of wrap a bow around this discussion, including uh, talk a little bit about some of the tax considerations, uh, and then we'll let listeners drive the rest of the show after we finish up our discussion on paying for college. That sounds great. Let's remind listeners that they can call right now, 651-461-9226. They can also use that same number to call or to text us, and we have our text line open here at 651-461-9226. And always reminding you, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and call Wealth Enhancement at one eight 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 six advice Back after this break. And welcome back to the second half of Your Money. I'm Susie Jones, along with Peg Webb and Bruce Helmer, reminding you, if you have a financial question, you can call this number 24 hours a day, seven days a week, one eight 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 six advice and you can always email your money question to your money at wealthenhancement.com. But for the next 20 minutes or so, 25 minutes, you can text or call our studio line at 651-461-9226. Again, welcome back the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group and financial advisor Bruce Helmer and senior vice president and financial advisor Peg Webb. We have a number of text questions for you too, but you mentioned, Bruce, that you wanted to put a bow on it before we got into some of those questions, so maybe I'll hand it over to you to do just that. Thank you, Susie Jones. Appreciate that. And thanks for staying with us, uh, everyone. Or if you're just joining us, we've been talking about uh, tips for saving uh, for college. We started off by verifying that, yes, college financially or economically still is worth the four or five year delay of getting in the workforce and the expense of paying for it. It does, statistically speaking, uh, put people in a, at least long term in a better financial situation than those that don't go to college. But we also said that if you want to help your kids, you also have to take care of yourself and probably should prioritize your own retirement plan over their uh or overpaying for their college. But in in terms of trying to pay for their college, the sooner you start, the better. So start as early as as you can. And then we talked about some of the ways that you can save and invest for college. Probably the most popular and arguably the most efficient and effective is the 529 plan that we talked about at some length. And we also briefly mentioned custodial accounts or uniform gift to minors or uniform transfer to minors accounts. You might be familiar with and Atma. And then we talked about uh, Coverdale educational accounts. Peg, the, the only part we didn't really maybe get to that we should is tax considerations for saving for and paying for kids' college. And then also, 
I kind of want to go back just really quickly. We, we talked about ways of saving and paying for it, but again, most people are going to look to try to get some sort of financial aid for their, their child, for their student. And what I learned going through the process with my own kids I knew I would never get any need-based aid based on our assets and our income and so forth, but I did not understand the amount of merit-based aid out there. So if you're, if you're someone that has a good student, you can actually uh, probably get financial assistance from a lot of different uh, universities and colleges that really want your child, want your uh, student to go there. And uh, you may even want to consider getting uh, a consultant in terms of college consulting. We did that with one of our kids, and it definitely was well worth it in terms of what we got out of it. So how do you pay for it? How do we minimize the cost? How do we get some financial assistance if we can? And then let's talk, uh, Peg, I'll turn it to you, uh, tax considerations or tax advantages. Yeah, so one of the things uh, that you should look at is uh, there's the American Opportunity Tax Credit and Lifetime Learning Credit. In the first four years that you pay tuition or higher education, you may qualify for this. And I was actually kind of surprised uh, in how high your modified adjusted gross income can be to be eligible and so, well, what is it? Well, the, the, if you're married filing jointly, it's, it's somewhere between 160 and 180,000, um, and they kind of phase it in. So if you're, you know, less than 160, you'll get some credit. But if you're in between 160 and 180, you get partial. And then if you're over, you don't qualify. But what is it? Um, you get a maximum credit of 2,500 per student. And then there is another uh, calculation, if you will, based on your tax return, uh, that you could get some additional up to $1,000. So it's not jump change by any means, because th those are tax-free dollars, which um, I always like those type of dollars better than any other type of uh, taxable income. So I, I think, you know, you... I think CPAs and accountants are very aware of these credits. Uh, what scares me is still how many people prepare their own return. And I'm just I'm very biased because, you know, we look at the returns every single day that we either prepare for people or they've got prepared by a CPA or an accountant um, or they do their own. And it's just amazing, Bruce, how many things are missed, meaning opportunities like this, or um, just calculations were wrong, or they just, even if you use some kind of software, you still have to be knowledgeable about what numbers to put in. So, so these credits, though, are amazing if you qualify for them. Um, anything else that you want to talk about or cover in more detail before we let listeners take over the show? Well, the only thing I wanted to mention on the 529, because I, I find that most people think, oh, I have to invest in the stock market and I don't want to invest in the stock market. Well, uh, a lot of these 529s, and I'm only bringing this up because interest rates are, are going up, you know, pretty fast here. And I, I when um, my kids were ready to go to college, and mind you, these weren't out available that um, early in their life that I could start saving younger, but they had a fixed option. 
And think about it when you're looking at a 529, um, even if your your child is 13, 15, I mean, even 17, you can still invest in these. And if they have a good fixed option, that's better than just having, you know, money that's not earning in the bank. So I wanted to give that tip as well, because for years, Bruce, we haven't even thought about the fixed option in these. But um, but I think now that interest rates are going up, you may want to look at them again. Well, and I'll just add, and then, Susie, I want to throw it to you for uh, get listeners involved. Even if you, let's say you start your 529 or your college savings program, whatever method you're using, um, when your child is born. Now you've got presumably roughly 18 years before you might need some of that money. I believe when you're 18 years away, you should be invested in stocks. But as time goes on, and that child is now, 16 or 17 or 18 and they're a junior or senior in high school and you're a year or two away from using that money, you probably should have begun to shift it into less volatile vehicles like, you know, a fixed income account, or if not all of it, probably some of it. In other words, as that time horizon shortens, you probably should be less aggressive with the investment in the 529 or, or whatever, whatever account we're talking about. All right, Susie, let's, uh, hopefully let's get some calls on any subject. It doesn't have to be college saving. We'll take uh, texts or calls on anything that people want to talk about. 651-461-9226. That is the number to either call or text a question to Bruce or Peg. This texter says, what is the average cost to create a trust? And either one of you can jump on that. Oh, gosh, Peg. Uh, now, again, just for clarity, um, there's different kinds of trusts, but I assume, Peg, when the, when the texter says trust, they're talking about a, a, st- a pretty typical revocable trust that you might use rather than a simple will is what I'm thinking, but maybe you're thinking something else. What, what kind of cost do you think we're looking at for a revocable trust? Well, it's a, it's a pretty wide range, Bruce. Um, we refer to lots of attorneys. We um, witness, you know, are informed how much people are spending, clients are spending on creating a trust. I would say, and I'm going to give a range here, it's anywhere from $1,500 all the way up to $8,000. And the high side just means you probably have some additional complexity where you, you're not creating just one trust. You're creating multiple trusts. And the reason I say it's that wide of a range, because it also de- depends on where you live, you know, what state. Um, we have offices in, in East Coast all the way to the West Coast, so uh, costs are very there. And then it also is what I witnessed too, Bruce, if it's a very large um attorney group, then the costs are probably higher because they have the same kind of um, kind of round table where they will all work together. And then there's some solo practitioners, you know, that do create trust as well. And those are a little bit less expensive, right? Because the overhead isn't quite as high. Sure. Do you want a sole practitioner that, or do you want five names on the door and the 50th floor right. in the downtown? You know, so you're, you're going to pay for those names. You're going to pay for that location. It doesn't mean it's not worth it. If it might be worth it to you, but Peg, you know, in terms of cost and, and thank you for, for putting a range on it. And I agree 
with PEG, that's probably a pretty reasonable range. And that, that extra cost, if you will, because wills are not as expensive typically, um, and again, there's a lot of variables to both in terms of your specific situation. Is the attorney a, a, from a big firm or a sole practitioner? Um, again, a lot of variables that are going to impact that cost. But generally speaking, wills are cheaper. So when we look at wills versus trusts, uh, revocable trusts, uh, what some of the things that a trust does for the person, I've actually had clients say to me before, well, gosh, if it if I avoid probate and I and I have privacy and I and I don't have to go through the probate process, the things that the trust does that the will does not. Why doesn't everybody go get a trust? And the answer is because a lot of people don't want to pay those extra fees to get the trust. They'd rather get a cheaper will, and that's good enough, and it suffices for them. So generally speaking, I think most people probably can accomplish what they want to accomplish with a will, and that's going to be a little bit cheaper. But many of our listeners and many of our clients have very valid reasons for wanting a trust, and they're willing to pay a little bit extra to get those extra things that a trust does that a will does not. All right. Do you want the next question? Ready? Sure. Unless you want, unless you want to add to that, Peg. No, that was that's great, Bruce. Okay. All right. A question from a texter. What is the status on Biden's President Biden's student loan forgiveness idea, program, et cetera. Oh, my gosh, Peg, is that part of uh, what is that part of? Uh, I know there's a there's a bunch of different things that um, have been talked about in the House. Some things even approved and then haven't been uh, voted on or approved in the Senate. Do you remember what what uh, the student loan forgiveness where, where that might be at? No, I, I've actually, and this is just a personal thing with me, unless it's truly going to happen, because there's so many things out there that, you know, the House might have talked about and they've already passed. And then there's so much time before the Senate even acts on anything that I, mentally, capacity wise, I don't have the capacity to just remember what they're working on. So with, with, um, you don't, no, I don't have that because it's a lot. I mean, it's a lot. So the, the, uh, forgiveness program, no, I don't, don't have an update, uh, status on that at all. Okay. Well, maybe we can look into it. Bruce. Yeah. And I, and I'm the same way, Susie. And, and I'm not, I'm not trying to make excuses for my ignorance, but I've had clients ask questions like that before, They'll bring something up in the in a potential change in the tax law or public policy, and sometimes I haven't even heard of it. In fact, often I'll get the question and I'll think, that's not true, and then I go Google and research it, and, and it's true, but it's so far be, from becoming law, it's not even on my radar yet. I'm not, you know, but, mm-hmm. but people hear something that sounds exciting to them, even if it was just one congressman's idea and it's never going to pass. We'll, we'll end up getting questions on it, but but yeah, I know I know Biden um, has had certain ideas about student loan forgiveness, and it's part of a broader 
package and I don't know where it's at either. I apologize. We could we could try to go research that and maybe bring it up in the future. Sure. Here's well, another- Bruce, do you remember, I have to say this one thing, do you remember, because we've been doing this for decades, we kind of made a pack that we have got to do our comprehensive planning on the laws that are in place today. Like we can't be forecasting, oh, if this happens, if that, yeah, we can consider those things, but our comprehensive planning is in the moment with consideration of what might change, you know, in the near future. But um, that that's always worked for us. Otherwise, it's a it's a cluster, right? Because oh, well, what if <laughs> this happens? What if that happens? I mean, so yeah. And look at last year, right? We we had all these tax things that thought we thought we were going to. We did take action though last year with a lot of high net worth clients, in that that seemed somewhat probable. So we talked through the pros and cons of. You know, are they going to lessen the death tax, you know, amount and are are the tax rates going to change? You know, we had clients that sold businesses. We had clients that took profits on some, you know, uh, low basis stock that they had so much appreciation in. Those kinds of things um, were very impactful. But once again, we do most of our comprehensive planning on in today's uh, set of rules. All right. Should we ask the next question? Sure. Uh, This questioner writes, I have three children, each with about $20,000 in savings account. I have been meaning to start 529s, but I haven't yet. Can I transfer all or most of that money into the 529 at one time? Also, the oldest will be starting his senior year in high school in the fall. Does it make sense to start one for him now? Oh, wow. This is Susie. Thank you. And and tech, whoever sent the text. Thank you. So Peg, three kids and they've got about 20,000 for each kid, which I think is awesome. And I don't know if the kids contributed to that themselves with, uh, with part-time jobs or jobs after school or weekends or whatever, but three kids, 20,000 each, does it make sense to convert to 529? And before you answer Peg, um, you know, we don't know. We know we know that the one is is a year away, but we don't know how old the other two are. I'm wondering in your answer, does does how old they are make a difference? Yeah, I would I I, I would agree. How old they are makes a difference. Um, inside a five two nine, and I talked a little bit about the fixed option, and it could be that a plan one plan has a fixed option and one plan does not. So that takes a little bit of research. But even for the senior in high school, and this is what I was explaining uh, for my girls, I I actually opened 529s. And at that time, (laughs) believe it or not, I could get a 4% tax-free return just by sitting in the stable value bucket. So if you are a senior, that still may make sense. And maybe you don't use that money when they're a freshman or sophomore you might use that money for their last year versus some of their earlier years. Then 20,000 savings account, you know, what you may want to do is take a percentage of that and put it in a 529 and leave yourself some flexibility, uh, especially for the younger ones. You, you don't know yet if they're going to college, and so you may want to have some liquidity there. And then it seems like you have these tied to each child, which um, a lot of times will suggest, you know, having it, you know, maybe you can put it in an account where it's $60,000 
and then you name maybe the first one who's going to be the beneficiary. And Bruce, you talked about this, where you just can keep changing the beneficiary. So unless you want to make sure that each one, whether they use it or not, that the the balance would go to, um, you know, each child on their own one day, or is the 60,000 really earmarked for education for these three kids collectively? You know, Susie and Peg, something just occurred to me, uh, and I'm not trying to do a commercial. I apologize if it seems like I am. But all these things that we talked about today, and in particular, this, this last question about should I do this, can I do this, what are the tax considerations, can they be commingled or should they be separate, um, and, and, and we mentioned some 529s have a fixed option, some don't. For someone to do all this research and due diligence on their own, I can imagine people out there listening to us with kids thinking, this is absolutely overwhelming. So here's the part, mm-hmm. I'm not trying to do a commercial, but just for a, a, a statement of fact, we've done this due diligence. Wealth Enhancement Group has looked at all 50 of the state plans. We know which ones we like better than others for what reason. And so rather than try to take this task on by yourself, it might make sense for you to get in touch with a financial advisor. I know it's certainly something that we help our clients with, and I assume a lot of other advisors out there in our space could say the same thing. So I'm not just promoting us. I'm promoting maybe financial advisors in general can help with this. Well, and the other thing, Bruce, is if you think this is complex, like planning for retirement and all the things that you could be doing to get ready for it, or even if you're soon to retire and you've and you've accumulated assets, you know, are they taxable? Are they tax deferred? Are they tax advantaged? What buckets do I use first? How do I create a paycheck for the rest of my life? It's it's five two nines. It's everything. And I often wonder, how do people possibly do it on their own? But now I'm a little biased in that I'm in this every single day and and witnessing how we're helping clients. And so 529s kind of is another aha moment where there's a lot of complexity to it, Bruce. Yeah, I think, um, uh, and I apologize, Susie, that we uh, pontificated long enough that we probably don't have time to squeeze in another question. I want to Wish you both and all of our uh, listeners have a uh, great, uh, safe holiday weekend. But also, again, I encourage everybody to just uh, take a moment and reflect and remember, uh, thank the family, a military family, that uh, why we get Monday off, why this is the unofficial start of summer. It's Memorial Weekend, and let's make sure we uh, honor and respect those that gave the, the ultimate sacrifice. All right. And I just want to remind listeners, too, because many uh, people that are texting and have kind of complicated questions about, just as you said, how to move into that phase of retirement and what, how much and what bucket to take different amounts of money from. And so on that note, just to let folks know that have not gotten their questions answered, if they want to write them out and email them to your money at wealthenhancement.com or call one eight. Six 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 advice. I know, Bruce, with 10 seconds, they can come in and have a free consultation before they make a decision. So good idea to do that, and we'll talk to you all next week. Have a wonderful holiday, Bruce and Peg. You too. You too.